0: Excuse you. <laughs> Adam Bender, everybody. Well, what's up? Welcome to ITown part two of this series, Zero to 60. I want to take just a minute to say hello to our church family meeting in other campuses. Those of you who are joining us online, of course, all the correctional facilities as well across the state. Come on, church, one more time. Can you put your hands together? Welcome each other today. Go ahead and grab something to take some notes with. I believe God is going to speak to us as we study His Word today. If you want to open your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew chapter 7. We'll get to there in just a minute. Before we get to any of that, I want to pause for just a minute and thank Eric for sharing his story. Wasn't that amazing? Can you give it up for him one time? Yeah. I know on the other side of Easter, we have a lot of people who are kind of new to the faith or maybe re-engaging in your faith and I hope you hear his story and the fact that it's never too late to become who you might have been Eric as a church family I want you to know how proud we are of you for the decisions that you have made and if you're here today and you are hurting and maybe you are hiding some things from the people in your life I just want you to know that God loves you he's not out to get you he is trying to set you free this church is full of people with stories just like yours and if you open your heart to him today I promise that he will Turn your whole life around. And I'm excited today to talk about what it means to follow Jesus. We're going to go to Matthew 7. I want to read you the passage that we're going to study today, and then we'll talk about this beautiful machine behind me. Verse 24, this is Jesus speaking at the end of this sermon that we famously call the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house... On the rock, The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Jesus today is going to teach us what it means to truly be a disciple of Christ. What it means to follow the Lord. But before we get to that, let's look at this beautiful car that is sitting behind me. I never grew up as a Porsche fan. In fact, I called them Porsche until this week. I learned that that's grammatically incorrect and offensive to the Germans. It's pronounced Porsche. So in case you're having an argument in your own house of how this is pronounced, it's technically Porsche. This is a Porsche 911 GT3 2022. It is an extremely rare machine. In fact, every dealer I was told in the country only gets one to sell, and this one had to come from Florida uh, in order to be owned by a person in Indiana. Uh, It's a gorgeous car set up to be actually a track car. You know, the thing that's interesting about Porsche is Uh, Ferdinand Porsche, who began the company along with a couple friends, never intended to build cars. They actually were design consultants, and Porsche was really involved in a lot of development of military machines. In fact, at the end of World War II, uh, Ferdinand Porsche was arrested on war crimes for things that had happened in World War II, and his son actually had to take over the company, and his son was the one that really began to develop cars, in fact, built the first car with the Porsche name. What Ferdinand was actually popular for was the German government came to him and his design firm and said, we need you to make a car for the people. We need you to design a vehicle that every single person can drive and own. And so they came up with the Volkswagen because the word Volk in German actually means people. So it was a wagon for the people, the people's car. And they actually created the VW Beetle, everybody. And uh, that was actually the beginning of the Porsche company. And so his grandson, also named Ferdinand, designed the Porsche 911. And it was based on some of the specifications of the VW Beetle. So if you've ever looked at a Beetle and thought, that kind of looks like a Porsche. (laughs) Now you know. Now you know. It was in the 1960s that he developed the first 911. And uh, they've been building and refining on that chassis ever since, which is pretty unique. Most car companies develop a car for four or five years, and then they get rid of that model line, and they bring out a brand-new model line, always trying to improve. But the thing that's really cool about Porsche is they have taken something that really is a timeless design, and they have just continued to make it better and better. Now, this is really an enthusiast type of car because... It has a flat plane uh, six, a flat crank six, so it's, it's different than most engines, and it's naturally aspirated, which means it's not, it doesn't have a turbo charge, which is taking the exhaust and making the engine go faster. doesn't have a charge, charger, which takes initial air and makes the engine go faster. And so it's rare to find a naturally aspirated vehicle at this level. And so enthusiasts who really love to drive, really love this car... For another reason, because it comes in a manual. This is a six-speed manual transmission, the way the Lord really intended sports cars to be built. In case you were wondering where the church's theological stance is on that, three pedals make for a good car. And so this one, I'm told, is a lot of fun to drive. I'm praying and believing in faith that I will be able to walk out that faith in actions and know for sure uh, but unfortunately I do have a little bit of a reputation uh, that, that is my own fault publicly for my own driving mistakes, and so the owner may not let me touch it. I don't know. We'll see. A <laughs> couple of things that are interesting about this car. It's set up to be a track car. It goes 0 to 60 in the PDK, which is the automatic dual-clutch transmission. It'll go 0 to 60 in under 3 seconds, about 2.9 this one is about 3.3 because the manual, because human error, and it's worth the .4 seconds to go slower, in my opinion. But uh, it's got this inverted tail wing, which is a little bit unique to this car. In fact, Porsche has never put this wing on a car. A lot of people didn't like it, but it creates tremendous downforce. In fact, uh, the whole thing about this car is that it's very, very good on the track. There's special Michelin tires. It's got a double wishbone suspension in the front, that makes it incredibly stable around turns. It just means that the entire wheel assembly can move in order to keep it uh, as flat as possible, as centered as possible, to keep as much contact on the ground as it rounds corners. Stability is one of the main aspects of this car. And then interestingly enough, another thing I found about Porsches is that they're incredibly durable, which is a wonderful thing and an interesting thing. When you really think about it, you do see a lot of, Porsches being driven around town and I don't know that there's just that many more Porsches than there are maybe Lamborghinis or Ferraris or, or even McLarens in our community. It's just that people that buy all those other cars never drive them. I don't know if you know somebody that has an Italian sports car. Most of them have them for like 5, 10 years and they put like 400 miles on them. It's like 20 years old and it's got 2,000 miles. You think like what was the point in buying the car in the first? I just think you ought to enjoy, if you're going to own one, if you're going to spend that much money on a car, you might as well drive it, right? Well, Porsche owners are known for that. They'll put 20, 30,000 miles on their cars because they just love the thrill of driving. And it's a very durable car, very stable, very durable. That's really important when you're going fast around corners. I don't know if any of you here like going fast, but I can personally attest to the fact that you can buy American cars that will go really fast, but they are very dangerous. They do not have the aspects that these cars have that allow you to be safe. In fact, I've never uh, gotten into a major accident, praise the Lord, in a vehicle. But a couple of uh, years ago, we did buy our kids this super fast go-kart that's big enough for me to get in. And so, you know, I just thought being a good father, it's important to test the limits of the machine before you give it to the kids. And so... We gave it to them on Christmas, and before any of them had a chance to drive, I was like, let me show you. So I jump in, didn't put my seatbelt on, wasn't wearing a helmet, and I start flying around. This thing goes like 35 miles an hour. I was drifting on this little piece of gravel when I realized that the driveway was closer than I realized, and I hit the pavement, flipped the the go-kart several times. My kids were watching, very traumatized by it all. Hit my head on the concrete, the whole thing. I went strapped in, no helmet, praise the Lord. I walked away from it and I was fine. Kate was not present, which is a positive for our relationship. (laughs) And then really it actually worked out because it sobered all the kids to like, this is dangerous and you should drive slow. And so they've all been pretty cautious. Of course, after I replaced the roll cage that I broke before they ever got a chance to drive it. But that's not the point. The point the point is that stability is important in life. And Jesus is actually teaching us what builds a stable life as we pursue Him in this life as He concludes this Sermon on the Mount. I want to take you for just a minute to Luke chapter 6 because in Luke chapter 6, uh, there's this other message that some people believe it's the same as the Sermon on the Mount, but clearly the context is different because. He talks about being on a plane. So we have the Sermon on the Mount and then in Luke chapter 6, the Sermon on the Plain. Both have common elements to them, but this one wraps up similar but gives us a little bit different details. Verse 46, Jesus says, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Now listen, I just want to pause for a minute and tell you, we have a race car on the stage and we love enjoying church but I'm gonna pastor you a little bit today, okay? I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get all up in your business and I might hurt your feelings a little bit and it's okay because ultimately I think it's gonna produce something that will be beautiful and wonderful in your life. So just remember at the end of all this, there's a car on the stage and our pastor loves us. Those are the two things you need to remember, all right? Because Jesus says some things that are a little bit difficult for us to swallow. And this is a question that you have to deal with. Why do you keep calling me Lord and living life your own way? Why do you keep showing up at church and listening to the word taught and yet not reconciling the areas of your life that don't align to God's word? Why do, we keep, why do we keep fooling ourselves in all of this? Like the truth is, we have got to listen to the teachings of Jesus and learn how to submit our lives. I love what Eric said, I had to get to the place that I just made him the Lord of my whole life. You can't have pockets where you're like, I'll give you this, but I'm not going to give you that. Jesus said, why do you keep following me? He's just calling people out. Why do you keep following me? And yet you don't do what I say. Verse 47, I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me and listens to my teaching and then follows it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rose and break against the house, it stands because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds their house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against the house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. So here we most likely have two different sermons with same content. In fact, a lot of theologians just believe Jesus was an evangelist and that he had a road message. (laughs) He basically kind of taught this same message nearly everywhere he went over and over and over. Chances are the disciples heard this sermon hundreds of times because Jesus was trying to reframe people's perspective. We've talked a lot at church about how the Jewish people were expecting a Messiah who would overthrow the Roman government, establish an independent Jewish government, and then they would enjoy prosperity and peace in this life. And so Jesus was already working in his earthly ministry, his teaching ministry, to help people understand it's probably not what you expect He's redefining what it means to be a follower of Christ. He's setting the standards for really what a true disciple is in both the Sermon on the Plain and the Sermon on the Mount. And here he's kind of concluding the whole thoughts of those passages with the simple concept that there are really two different types of disciples. And I would put out there today that there are also two different types of Christians alive in the church today just as there were in Jesus' time. You have those who hear what Jesus teaches and then they obey. And you have others who hear what Jesus teaches and they choose to live their own way. Jesus said, those who hear what I am saying and then put it in practice in their lives are very wise and have a solid foundation. A life built on the rock or a relationship with Christ. And then there are those who... Do not do what I say. They hear, but they're not putting it into practice. And they're like people who would build a house on sand. And eventually, that is all going to fall apart. A couple of things I want you to see before we jump into our study. The first thing is that Jesus is talking about building life on sand. That seems ridiculous to all of us. Because if you're like me, really, I know we have clay around here. But when I think sand, I think Destin, I think Hawaii, I think beautiful beaches in the Philippines. I think of this really soft sand, and you think, what idiot would build a house on any of that and think that it's ever going to stand? That seems ridiculous. So I did a little bit of study this week, and I found that there's this specific kind of sand called alluvial sand. And what Jesus is doing is he's just using his environment. Just like today, we're using this beautiful car to communicate spiritual truths, Jesus is sitting. On the mountain here, in the Mount, uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. And, and I think it's actually fascinating because actually I found out that we've got it all backwards in the American church. And maybe, uh, maybe we should make some adjustments because it said that Jesus went up to the top of the mountain and he sat and the people came and he taught. And I thought that was strange. So I did some research and I found out in Jesus' day it was common for the speaker to sit and for the people to stand. And so I think we have it backwards. I suggest next week we take out all the seats. And I'll sit, and you guys stand for a while, and you'll figure out what it's like. It's not so great standing up all service. Maybe you'll pay attention a little bit more. won't be falling asleep. I'm joking. I, I don't see anybody fall asleep. Okay, here's the point. The alluvial sand is something that was on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And he's on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee as he's teaching this Sermon on the Mount. So he's using elements of everyday life, and he's saying people would build on the sand. Well, the alluvial sand is full of rock and sediment, and what would happen is in the summer months, all of that would settle, and it would be as hard as rock. So deceptively, it would seem like that would be a pretty solid base to build a house on. And so we have to understand the context because the devil's very good in our own lives of coming along and saying, look, This inappropriate relationship's not gonna hurt you, and it's not a big deal for you to just fudge the numbers there. It's not a big deal for you to to just go above and beyond or just to tell a little bit of a lie or just to do this little thing. I know the Bible speaks against it, but it's fine. It's a firm foundation. It'll be okay. He deceives us sometimes. But Jesus was teaching them, hey, that sand looks solid in the summertime, but the spring rains are coming, The winter rains are coming. The winter wind is coming. And the reality is that foundation will be exposed. The fact that that person is just built on the sand and didn't do the heavy lifting of digging down to build any kind of foundation will eventually be exposed and their life is eventually gonna fall apart. You may think that you can just get your fire insurance and then live all kinds of your life or parts of your life Not surrendered to the teachings of Jesus and that you're going to skate by and be fine. But whether it's in this life or in the life to come, there will come a time that you'll have to give an account for your life. There will be a moment that what you have built with is exposed. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about standing before God and how he laid the foundation as an expert builder, which is on the relationship with Jesus Christ. But then we get to choose if we build with gold, silver, stone, wood, hay, or stubble. And everything that's not built with purity is going to be burned as we stand before God and we'll be rewarded for whatever's left. So we have to think about the lives that we are building, the construction process, the elements that we are putting in. And Jesus is warning us, storms are inevitable in both stories and for both people. The winds and the waves of life are coming. And I'm not here to depress you. I'm just here to wake you up to the reality of the fact that you will live through some adversity in following Christ. Maybe you're new to Christianity. I think sometimes we oversell the idea That everything is going to be wonderful and great. And yes, God rescues you. And yes, he sets you free. But the reality is that we are still sinful humans and there is a real devil in this earth. And there's a whole bunch of humans who have lost their minds. And your life is going to be tough from now till eternity. I don't want you to see this through the wrong lens. Jesus usually discouraged people from following him. Go sell everything you have. Are you sure you're ready to make the sacrifice? I don't have a place to lay my head at night. People are going to abandon you and others are going to persecute you. You have to take up your cross every single day and follow me. There's a cost. I think sometimes we underestimate the cost of following Jesus. And today I want you to know that there's a massive cost that's involved. There's some risk involved in following Christ, but you can be stable Just like this car is stable, you can push it to its absolute limits, anything that you or I could ever do in unschooled driving, and we would be okay because of the safety features of the vehicle. There are safety features built into the gospel that will bring a blessing and a firm foundation to your life, but I wonder if we're choosing it. Are you building your life on the sand? Are you building your life on the rock? There's a lot of reasons why we build our lives on the sand. Jot this down if you're taking notes. The first reason is that sand is just simple. It's the easy route. It's hard work, especially in the summertime when construction would take place. It'd be incredibly hard to dig down through that alluvial sand that was as solid as concrete to reach the true bedrock, the real rock that you could build your house on that would be able to stand what was coming in the future a lot of people don't like to make that sacrifice they want this to be simple but I just want you to know today that following Jesus is not simple and I think it's going to get even more complicated in the years to come in our own country like if we go back to the beginning of our text I'm going to go back to Matthew chapter 5 now We're going to work our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and we certainly don't have even close to enough time to barely touch on these principles. One of the best sermons that Jesus has ever given, and you could, I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of sermons and probably hundreds of thousands of books that have been written just examining these three chapters. So we do not have time, Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, we don't have time in this message to break down all that's in this amazing sermon. But at the end of The Beatitudes, that first little section from Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 says, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. So I just want you to know, you shouldn't be shocked when people are blasting you online, when neighbors are misrepresenting you, when you turn on the media and you see people talking about Christians in ways that are less than pleasant. Jesus said, don't be surprised by all of this and realize there is a blessing that comes, but it's complicated. It's not simple. What's simple is to say, hey, yeah, I know that that's not uh, culturally popular to stand for that moral uh, thing that the Bible says, so we'll just, it's okay. We just won't do that anymore. We just won't believe that anymore. We'll just embrace what the world says because we certainly don't want to be seen as hateful or as mean, or as judgmental. And so we'll just throw those things out. Well, I'm just telling you, if you do that, your faith is built on sand. You don't have a solid foundation. Jesus goes on to say in verse 13, more things that are complicated. You are the salt of the earth. Now, it's an interesting statement because obviously salt preserves, and I do believe there's, with the power of the Holy Spirit, there's a restraining force in the body of Christ before the rapture in uh, the ant- rise of the Antichrist and all the end times, I- I'm not here to get into a bunch of eschatology, but there's definitely the concept that, you know, the church is there in the beginning of the book of Revelation, but then it's gone. Like early chapters, it's dismissed. Probably the rapture happens. You don't really hear about it throughout the rest of what happens. The word church doesn't show up in the rest of Revelation. So I believe that we are a preserving force in the earth, but more important. We are supposed to bring flavor to the idea of following Christ. Because I don't know if you know this, but salt tastes good on everything. Can I get an amen in God's house today? Those low sodium diets, that's for the birds, man. Salt it all, I say. Salt tastes great. And the Bible says you are the salt of the earth. So check it out. This is what's complicated. Two verses before, the world is hating you and lying about you and attacking you and persecuting you. And in the midst of all of that, you got to put a smile on your face and keep a pep in your step because you're supposed to be the thing that brings flavor to following Christ. So while the world is hating on you, the last thing that we need to do is be mad and judgmental and hateful towards the world because that's not who God has called us to be. That's not who Jesus was. We have to stop being known for what we're against. We have to be known for what we're for. Hello. That's all right. It's quiet in the last service, quiet in this Lutheran church. I'm going to keep preaching. He says, but what if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It has to be thrown out. We're no good for the kingdom. We can't fulfill our purpose because what verse 14 we're the light of the world not only are we the salt that's supposed to help things taste better, but the light that is supposed to shine bright to dispel the darkness. So people would look at our marriages, they'd look at our kids, they'd look at our finances, they'd look at our joy, and they'd say, man, there's something different about you. Everybody hates you, they keep lying about you, they keep attacking you, and yet you're still got your shoulders back and your head held high, and you're still full of love, and you're still taking care of people. Because look, it says, it says, no one lights a lamp and puts it under A basket. No, instead it's placed on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, here's how our light shines go out and love people through good deeds. Let it shine for all to see so that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. We're supposed to be the ones that are out there loving the loveless and clothing the naked and feeding the hungry and doing the good things that Jesus did. He went about doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil. That's our role. The government is bloated because the church is inactive. They're trying to do what we've been called to do. And so we need to step up and we need to serve and we need to give and we need to love because that's who God's called us to be. Because think about it for a minute. It's easy for them to throw stones at churches that take phone calls and say, yeah, we don't let people that don't believe like us or live like us or sexually orient like us or vote like us attend with us, which I think is absolute garbage. Everyone is welcome in the doors of God's house. Everyone is welcome at the foot of the master. Everyone is welcome at I Town, whether you believe like us or not. It's one thing for the world to say that, but it's hard for them to say that when, yeah, I hate that church. Man, they're always around feeding people. All they ever do is love people. All they ever do is pay for people's bills. All they ever do is take in the homeless. All they ever do is bring clothes. All they ever do is show up at every crisis and bring water. We're supposed to live out the life that Jesus has called us to live. That's not simple. Simple as I'm going to attend for an hour on the weekend, and I'm never going to speak up, and I'm never going to stand up for Jesus, and I'm never going to wade into controversial topics, and I'll change my belief system based on whatever the changing winds of life are just so I never get in any conflict. Listen, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you are not following Jesus. Your life is built on sand, and when the storm comes, you will fall with a crash. Jesus did not call us to simplicity. Verse 43 of Matthew chapter 5, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Can I get a good amen in in church? That sounds right. Jesus, that's good preaching. (laughs) But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Y'all know that deep is not hard to understand. You know, sometimes you leave church, not this church, but a church, some church, or maybe an online message. You go, whoo, that was deep what are you talking about? I don't know. It was deep. <laughs> all them Greek words. and I'm not real sure. No, deep is, how about all the people that are suing you and posting about you and betraying you and firing you? Can you imagine waking up and praying, God, I just thank you today for Bob, whoever that is. I pray your blessing upon his marriage today. I ask that they be closer than ever. God, I thank you that your favor will shine upon him. Bless his business. Bless his children. God, bless his health. I pray that he would just, everything that he touches would have the favor of God on his life. That's not prayers we pray. When someone's attacking us and trying to destroy us, we pray, God, we thank you today that your judgment is better than ours. So get him, Lord, in Jesus' name. I pray that his health fails. I pray that his sin finds him out. I pray that the media destroy him. You would bring him to his knees. In Jesus' name. (laughs) Praise the Lord. I pray prayers like that. But the Bible says we need to pray for those who persecute us. Verse 45, that you may be children of your Father in heaven because he causes his Son to shine on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I read that this week and I thought, I laughed to myself because if I was God, I literally would make it rain in spots of town. Like all the Christians' yards would be green, all the sinners' yards would be brown. That's how I would roll if I was God. I would definitely be playing favorites. But God is so gracious, and if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Because even tax collectors, which in that culture were like the worst of sinners to those people, even tax collectors, Jesus said, can do that. If you're only great to your own people, if you're only greeting them and loving them, what more are you doing than anybody else? Even the pagans do that. He said, what's distinguishing about Christians? What's different about your life? Listen, the life of following Jesus is complicated in the stands we have to take. It's complicated in the light we have to be. It's complicated in the sacrifices we have to make. It's complicated in the way we handle ourselves publicly and in relationships. It's complicated. Building our lives on the rock. The second thing is that sand is superficial. Sand is superficial. It's a superficial building process. Here's the thing that's interesting. Is that if you built two houses next to each other on the sand and one person dug down deep and put their house on the bedrock, the firm foundation, but then finished the project, if you were to come along later not having seen the work that was done, you would not be able to tell the difference between the two. Sand is obsessed with just how fast can I get there? How many shortcuts can I take? And how does it look on the outside? As long as it looks good, then we feel like we are good. And Jesus is calling us to something deeper. It's actually one of the things that's funny about this car that's amazing. is that? And I'm not here to, to ruin your day. Those of you who are Toyota fans or Honda fans, they're great cars, okay? But they're classic. The Honda Type R, the Supra GR or the the Corolla GR the Subaru WRX all these cars that are like the elite level of an average car well they put a bunch of body moldings on there because they're trying to make the car look cooler I, I hate to burst your bubble today but your tail wing does nothing it's totally pointless just adds extra weight to the car and it looks cool I'll agree it looks cool but it's not functional The thing that's cool about this car is every detail of it is functional. The way the front grille is vented is to help these massive disc brakes. And the way the engine is vented helps cool the engine and creates the airflow. The tail wing is manually adjustable to create the exact amount of downforce. Everything about it is not superficial, it's intentional. Jesus addresses this life of following him saying, it's not superficial, it needs to be intentional. In the things that you do, the life that you live, Matthew chapter six, he begins, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Because if you do, you'll have no reward from your father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets. Don't post it on Facebook. Don't make a big deal about yourself on Instagram. Because if you do, that's all the reward that you'll get. When you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father will reward you. Verse 5, he gets a little deeper. First he messes with your finance, now he's talking about your prayer. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray, standing in synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, That they've received their reward in full. When you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You see, God is a rewarding God. But at the end of the day, what God is looking for is your motivation. Where's your heart at? Verse 16, when you fast, don't look like the somber hypocrites do for they disfigure their faces to show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. When you fast, put oil on your head. Wash your face so that it's not obvious. And then again, your Father will reward you. See, there are rewards for doing things in the Christian life that God has called us to do. But if you're obsessed with what people think about you, and you're all about the public version of it, then when people praise you, enjoy that. Because the Bible says that's all the reward you're going to get. When it comes to your money, when it comes to your serve, when it comes to your holiness, when it comes to the things that you do for God... Just remember, if you make it about yourself and if you make it about a public show, you're not really accomplishing anything. In fact, there's going to come a day that all those things will be counted as worthless. So let's let our hearts be right. I don't want to pray so that people see that I pray. I'm not going to post somewhere online how often I pray so that someone else can be like, oh wow, that's really spiritual, or oh man, they're really deep, or oh wow, what a great Christian. No, it doesn't have anything to do with them. The reality is I need to pray because I need to hear the voice of God. I need to read scripture because I need to grow as a Christian. I need to fast because I need to silence the flesh. And increase the voice of the Holy Spirit so I can hear what God is leading me to do. I want to give so that I can use what God has given me to meet the needs of the world around me. And so that God can bless me and my family. It doesn't have anything to do with what you see or what you know. And yet we live in this culture that everything we do is only about what people see. And all about what people know. And Jesus is telling us if you're living your life that way you're building it on sand. There's going to come a day that those prayers are going to be needed. That fasting moment is going to be needed. The reward that you planted for the giving is going to be needed in your life. We need to make sure our motivation is pure because following Jesus is not simple. Certainly not superficial. The last thing I want you to know about sand as we close is that sand is shifting. The one thing that I am confident about as we began the message, I want to say it to you again. Storms are inevitable. There are relational storms that come into your life. There are financial storms that may come into your life. People will betray you. Someone's going to let you down. Something's going to happen in your finances. You never know exactly what it is. Maybe something attacks your health. We live in a very broken world that is full of sin. And in those moments, we need to have a genuine and authentic relationship with the Lord. I pray that when those moments come to your life, and they will, that this is not about checking a spiritual box, that you're not in the middle of just some... Ritual. You're not here because someone just drug you to church. That you have an authentic and real relationship with the Lord. That your life has dug down deep to say, it's not my will but yours be done. I'm setting aside my own opinions. I'm not listening to the voice of culture. I'm going to do what God's Word says that I need to do. And I'm going to let God's Word purify my thoughts and purify my attitudes and purify my motivation. Because I want to be authentic in my relationship with Jesus. Because at the end of the day, that's all he wants. Everything else in this life will let you down. Right before our passage, this was his last thought in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. Many will say to me on that day, the day of judgment, when we stand before the Lord, 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 did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. There'll be a lot of people when we stand before God face to face who showed up at church, gave in the offering, served on the team. But we're just going through the motions because that's what you're supposed to do. And my heart breaks to think that a single person at ITEM would be counted in that number. Because the true question when we meet Jesus face to face will not be what have you done for God and what are other people's opinions of you. It'll be did you know him? When Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you. That word knew in the Greek New Testament is the word genosko. It means to know by encountering, to have an authentic Relationship. God doesn't want you to study him. He wants you to know him. If you want to build a solid life because the storms are coming, you have to get in an authentic relationship with Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray for every single person in our church that God would help us to do the heavy lifting of following Jesus, that we would take up our cross, that we would dig down to build a life on the firm foundation of the rock of Jesus Christ. I want to pray that God would set us free from the expectations of others and living for the appearance of others, coming up with our own standards, our own morality that we'd build our lives on the firm foundation of Jesus. But first, I wonder how many of you are here today, and maybe you're in a storm. Maybe things are falling apart around you. I want you to know the only thing that can hold you firm in those moments is Jesus. But he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. Contrary to maybe what you have heard, God is not mad at you. He's not trying to get even with you. He loves you today. And all he wants is to be in relationship with you. Maybe you've been around the church thing and you've jumped through the motions and you've done things to appear as a Christian. And yet today you realize your life really isn't built in an authentic relationship with Jesus. Maybe others of you have never known him. I want you to know how much he loves you today. And if you open your heart to him, I believe this miracle called salvation will take place in your heart where God makes you into a brand new person. You get this brand new life. You can make it through anything when you have Jesus. If that's you today at all of our campuses, I'm not going to make you stand or come to the front, but I do want to pray with you where you're at. I would love for you to cross this line of faith in your heart if that's you to say, Dave... Would you count me in all over this room and at all of our campuses? Would you just slip your hand up high for just a moment if that's you today? Come on right now. Just put your hand up high and say, count me in. I need Jesus. I I need an authentic relationship with Christ. Yeah. It's awesome. All across the room, I'm so proud of you. You can put your hands down at all of our campuses if you haven't already. Here's what we'll do. I'm gonna lead you in a very simple prayer and you can pray it quietly in your heart. You just need to mean it. Just say, Lord Jesus. Forgive me today For all of my sin I repent Today I make you Lord Of my whole life I fully surrender to you Come and fill me with your Holy Spirit And help me To live this life for you Just tell him one more time God I give you my life In Jesus name I pray Lord, I thank you for this amazing church. I pray that you would help us to be authentic followers of Jesus. That we would build our lives on the firm foundation of Jesus. We thank you for how good you are to every single one of us. And God, in the midst of the storm, we thank you that you're an ever-present help. For those that are in adversity, for those that are in crisis today, we thank you for how much you love us and how present you are in those moments. You promised in your word that our house would stand. So we hold on to that promise today. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said amen. Amen. Come on church, would you help me celebrate with those who prayed that prayer today? Thank you so much for joining iTown Church Online today. We would love to have the chance to meet you and your family in person at one of our campuses. Or, of course, you can join us streaming live online this weekend. Now, for more details about times and locations and even some of our streaming options, you can go to itownchurch.com. I sure hope to see you soon. God bless.